0: Lead from the Side is made in partnership with Performance Leadership, a co venture of Western Bulldogs and Victoria University. Hi, I'm Spencer Casimir, and this is Lead from the Side. Today's guest is Justin Rodsky, the current CEO of Melbourne Storm Rugby League Football Club. In his extensive career, he has also been at the Essendon Bombers, where he was the Chief Commercial Officer, Chief Customer Officer, and Chief Marketing Officer. Before this, he started his career as a producer and journalist at the AFL and Channel 9. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Spencer. Good to be with you. So, what's going on at Storm now? There's a lot to
1: talk about. (sighs) Oh, there's never a dull moment, that's for sure. Sitting top four. We've been a little bit inconsistent this year, so we would have preferred uh, to be playing a little bit better at this point in the season, but we're well and truly in the finals race and that'd be a 13th consecutive year in a row, which is a phenomenal effort in itself. Once you're there, as you know, in sport,
0: anything can happen. Well, the show is called Lead from the Side mainly because the people that are on the show are, for the most part, not on the field. But what does that look like in terms of your experience? How is that different to being a leader on the field?
1: From the sidelines, you know, they talk about not great teams that win premierships, it's great clubs and great clubs are built off the back of on and off field success. And I think, you know, for anyone that thinks that you can just bring in talented athletes and you can have success, they're kidding themselves because the reality is to win premierships and to have sustained success, which is even more important in my view, you need to have great leaders on and off the field and you need to have a culture and a system
0: and a club that's aligned and that works together. Obviously, Melbourne is the AFL heartland. What is it like leading Melbourne Storm being a rugby league club in AFL heartland?
1: Whilst it does present some challenges in terms of exposure and, and wanting to you know, gain media and relevance within this market, at the same time, it's created um, a whole series of opportunities and I think that one of our strengths is our value proposition in this market. We're a one-team town. We're probably in what's one of the most cluttered sports markets in the world here with so many teams. I think there's 26 professional sports teams here in Melbourne. One thing that we do have is that whilst, yes, AFL is dominant here, we are the only rugby league team and we can separate ourselves from that clutter. We've got a great venue in Amy Park to come and experience games. We've got... Um, a great brand in terms of our club and the respect that we have both from a culture point of view but also from a success point of view on the ground and we've got a guy called Craig Bellamy who's probably one of the greatest coaches in Australian sports history if not the greatest and he's in his 21st season uh, at our club this year and a 70% winning record which is just unheard of and you know, we like to think that the storm transcends rugby league here in Melbourne and you know the game's shorter, it's fast, um, it's played at a rectangular stadium, the viewing experience is a lot different and um, it wasn't about trying to compete with the AFL. Um, we just want to be part of the Melbourne sporting landscape and the humility and respect that the team and the players and the club has for the people and the community of Melbourne has been a really important part of connecting the club Uh, with people and with the city. Um, And we're Melbourne's team. We're Victoria's team and
0: we're really proud of that. If I'm not mistaken, Melbourne Storm has the strongest TV ratings of any team in Victoria. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. We also have the biggest social media and digital engagement and following across all clubs in Australia. And that's something we're extremely proud of as well. You know, we're a big team. We've had a lot of success. So that brings appetite from broadcasters like Channel 9 to have Melbourne Storm games, you know, on Friday night lights. And that helps from an exposure point of view because our brand's being seen. But I've noticed also we've got a lot of fans uh, in New South Wales and Queensland, particularly Queensland, because we've had so many Queenslanders over the years. Uh, One of our greatest champions, Billy Slater, is currently the coach of the Maroons. So Um, We've got a strong connection into Queensland and
0: a lot of fans in Queensland as well, which is great for our club. One of the things that stands out uniquely is the players get to be superstars, rock stars on the field, but they live fairly normal lives off the field. What does that look like in terms of player culture? We
1: often use the the Swan Street test, where you could walk down Swan Street and would anyone notice who you are? And and absolutely, like for them, part of the attraction of coming to Melbourne is exactly that. You know, similar in Sydney for some of their players in the SCG uh, and the Swans. But um, for our guys, I think coming to Melbourne, being a part of the Melbourne culture, living in Richmond, a lot of them live there. I mean, you know, like Cameron Munster and Ryan Pappenhausen, they get
0: noticed. You know, Harry Grant a couple of others maybe, but you know, outside of that, yeah, that's been good for us. There's no fear of overinflated egos in that capacity because people know they're there to do a job. They have fun doing their job. Mm. Uh, they're part of what seems to be a fantastic culture. And then they get to be themselves and that's it. Craig Bellamy preaches humility
1: and respect and hard work. It's not about being entitled. It's about understanding how lucky you are and how grateful you need to be for the opportunity that you've got. That's been one of his Huge mantras, and that's been a big part of creating the culture that the Melbourne Storm has in that the players aren't entitled, they're respectful, they work hard, and that importantly translates right through the club and the organisation. So, to have that in an organisation, particularly in a sport environment when it's high performance, to have that from the playing group really drives the culture, and that's where I think. Sometimes AFL clubs can become unstuck because that gets lost in the fact that these guys are stars and they are treated differently. But, you know, one of Craig's sayings is work hard and good things will happen to you.
0: And that's the mantra that we live by. Has there ever been somebody who does crave that? I want to go north. I want to go to Sydney or Brisbane or wherever it is. Clearly, you have somebody who's an asset to the club, but they want that sort of recognition off the field as well. Yeah, I think there's a balance often
1: the club's got a, I think, a great ability to try and find a way through that. Um, Craig and and Frank Panisi and um, the coaching team are very conscious of ensuring that, you know, the players all live by the standards and the values and the expectations that are set and You know, one thing that business always can learn from sport is the ability to create an environment where you can have genuine conversations for genuine feedback. And that ultimately is accountability. But there are times when there are players that seek that limelight or seek that opportunity to be bigger than the team. And to be honest, the Melbourne Storm culture spits them out the other side pretty quickly. You know, one of the philosophies of people coming in is that talent can get you to the door, but, you know, it's character that'll bring you through it. That's something we don't take lightly you know we've got to protect the legacy and protect the culture that we've got so um, sometimes you can create an environment that provides for people to have that creativity and have that sense of character and uh, fun and we don't want robots either you know so you stretch it but if they start to conflict and compromise your values and your ethos and your culture then um, they're
0: pretty quickly uh exited out the back door. If you're looking to level up your ability to lead and inspire others, then Performance Leadership is the course for you. Performance Leadership is a unique and exciting professional development course delivered in partnership with Western Bulldogs and Victoria University. The two-day course focuses on practical learning with a range of facilitated activities. Learning is complemented by high-performance sport insights from a range of Western Bulldogs guest speakers and senior industry leaders. Join like-minded professionals at Performance Leadership in Melbourne this October. To find out more, visit education.westernbulldogs.com.au. This is a leadership show, not just a Melbourne Short Storm (laughs) show today. So in terms of your leadership style, let's talk about how it's developed. What do you think has changed and where did you start, where did you go, and where are you now? well that's a big
1: question, but um, when you were involved or when I was involved in the media, it was very much about yourself. Can I get the story? Can I get the win? Can I beat my opponent, which is you know the opposition uh, news outlet and it was less about team you know don 't get me wrong, that was a, a great environment to learn a lot about life and a lot about pressure and people and um, it wasn't until I started really at and that I started to understand more about administration and people and culture and leadership within a team environment. You know, and I know this is a little bit of a cliche, but it is true that it's so much easier to lead when everything's going well. And I think that it's when you go through periods of challenge and adversity that genuine and true leadership stands out. And, you know, I went through a really difficult period at the Essendon Football Club, um, you know, for those in Australia and and possibly around the world would remember it was a supplement scandal that, um, that rocked the club and people lost their jobs. When you think about crisis management in any environment, corporate or otherwise, generally speaking, that might go for a couple of weeks. This one went for five years and there were various different reasons for that. But I think it was through that period that I learnt the most about the type of leader that I am and and the type of strengths that I have to be a leader. And I think the important part about leadership for me too is to really understand what you do well and focus in on that because whilst there is always areas for improvement and you're always looking to grow and you're always looking to develop you're never really going to be able to change your style of leadership, in my opinion. I think that you are who you are and you need to know what that is and then focus in on that. And I found that when I tried to be something that I wasn't, um, people see through that. At the end of the day, leadership's about inspiring people. It's about motivating people, giving people the autonomy and the confidence to go and do their role and do it to the best of their ability. And when you're not being yourself... How can you possibly translate that through to the people that are working with you? So I think that the point is, is that through that period, I learnt the value of communication. I learnt the value of relationships and I learnt the value of honesty. So whilst it was incredibly difficult, the lessons that I learnt dealing with the challenges that we went through have held
0: me in good stead now for, for the rest of my life and the rest of my
1: professional career.
0: We actually have a bit of a connection in that era, shockingly enough. Prior to lockdown, I was at the lowest attended AFL game, and that was Essenton against GWS. In that year? Yep, before I even moved out here.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, like, I'll never forget, like, we had 32 players suspended. Um, I think 18 or 19 of them were still at, at the Bombers at that point, you know. And we had our first home game at the MCG against Melbourne, round two. And we mobilised the Essendon Army and the, the fan base to come and support the club that they loved. And, you know, it's 150 years old, this football club. Um, we got 54,000 people there to the MCG and somehow, miraculously, the Bombers won. And it was, just, it was just this sense of relief. And sport does that. It's such a powerful, you know, connector of
0: people. And, yeah, that was a, that was a special moment through that period. These are parts of the story that usually get lost amongst the kerfuffle of that big explosion that that amount of Essendon fans and supporters did show up. But I am curious, going just back a tick, what made you decide to get out of journalism and go into these leadership roles at Essendon in the first place?
1: Yeah, I I got to a point where I'd started to want more from my job and from my career and Media is very day-to-day, you know, in these days, this was just prior to social media really coming in. These days it's every minute, but back then it was, it was a 24-hour cycle. So you, every day you'd go to work, you'd work on your story, you'd do your cross or your story, it would go to air, go home, go to bed, wake up and do the exact same thing again. There wasn't a lot of strategy, there wasn't a lot of planning, you know, let alone creating a vision for where you want to go and what you want to do. And I'd come from a a storytelling, creative background, media and journalism, uh, film and TV producing, written short films. So I'm a big believer in narrative and story and connection with people. And so I decided one day that I was sick of running around chasing footballers and that it was time for me to combine my passion for sport and storytelling and media and how could I bring them all together. And that was this opportunity that I got to go and be the general manager of communications and marketing at the Bombers, um, to be able to do more with what I was
0: you know, coming to work every day trying to achieve. See, now you're speaking my language, the whole idea of narrative, communication, how we're getting the message across, show don't tell. Correct. And that's, for me, what great leaders do.
1: Uh, they communicate, they tell stories, um, they build narratives. And what that does for me is it creates connection for people. And that's why the best leaders can understand who their audience is at any given time and create a narrative that does connect with them. You've know, you got to be able to put yourself in the shoes of the people that you're talking to, to truly understand how you need to communicate to them. And that's one of the great things about leadership when people say, oh, well, who's been the greatest leader you've ever worked with or worked under or that you've seen? And my answer to that is always, well, there's not one person in my mind who's been the greatest ever leader. I've just tried to the best of my ability, to take the pieces of leadership from each individual that I've worked with and that I think are going to add and strengthen my own leadership. And of course, there are always things in leadership where you see people doing things that you don't want to do, you know? So there's no perfection in leadership.
0: What are one or two of those approaches that you felt would be helpful in being a better leader, but it just wasn't you?
1: Yeah, I got told at one point in time when I was highly ambitious, probably three or four years into my time at Essendon, that To be a CEO, I needed to be harder. You know, I wasn't hard enough. Am I cracking enough eggs? Was one of the comments I got. I got kind of thinking about that and, um, you know, tried to be a little bit harder at certain times with certain people in certain situations. And I just found that it, it wasn't working. And I was actually not enjoying going to work every day. And I could tell that the people that I was working with and who were in my team at that period of time weren't really enjoying working with me. And It got to a point where I spoke to someone that was very close to me and a a mentor over a period of time, um, the late Ray Gunston, actually, and he just reminded me of the importance of what matters to me and what's important to me and the type of leader that I am, like I was talking about before. So I completely changed my approach, and I I actually went back to that person who said that to me, and I said, look, I'm never going to be the leader that you are. I'm going to be the leader that I am, to be the positive Uh, human leader that I know I am and I know what
0: works for me and I know what helps not me trying to be someone else. It still doesn't mean that we don't have tough conversations. So what does that look like being you and having those tough conversations that nobody wants to talk about and nobody wants to handle?
1: Of course, as a leader, you need to be able to have difficult and tough conversations. And the way that I work through that from my own leadership point of view is ensuring that I built strong relationships with people, have and demonstrate genuine care for people so I understand who they are and where they come from. And from that, it actually enables you to be stronger. It actually gives you a better platform to say to someone, I just need to let you know this, this and this isn't working and so on. And for me, that became, you know, the way that I processed ensuring that I could make those tough decisions. But like at the end of the day and when I think about it, you know, those tough calls or tough decisions or genuine conversations are actually really easy in the whole context of other situations that are far more difficult. Like, I remember when we found out that the players were all suspended, and I was the one that had to walk out of our boardroom at Essen and tell them that we'd just lost 32 players for a year. That was a tough situation. That was a difficult conversation. You know, we'd already been through an, a, a huge roller coaster. And the, the emotions and the people that had impacted and involved, you know, the list of stakeholders that were involved in this is just unbelievable. So if you think about that and the context of every conversation that you've got to have and the different tone within each of those conversations, depending on who they are and how they're involved, that's what's well and truly called complex stakeholder management, you know, and, you know, you see that often on
0: CVs and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, okay, I know exactly what that means. How did that feel though, being the guy that had to express that to so many people?
1: Oh, well, at the time it was incredibly daunting and emotional and difficult um, and I hated it, to be honest. Reflecting back on it though, I think that the people that I was talking to appreciated the fact that I was talking to them. It's kind of like when you walk into a situation, you've got bad news. Do you just get the bad news out of the way so that you can process it and deal with it or do you fumble around and you know, lead into it understand in life uh, and in and in business and in sport and in leadership that you need to get to the point and you need to give people the news and you need to deliver it. Ultimately, whilst they might not like it, I'm telling you now, they're going to appreciate it because they want to know and they'd prefer to know. And I think that's something that's really important. You know, the longer you leave it as well, the worse it gets. Um, I think that's true in, in life and family and as well as it is in corporate and sport, you know, so don't get me wrong. I'm not Talking, and you know, you talked about a brutal message or whatever it might be, like it still needs to be delivered in the right way. And there's important follow ups that are required off the back of it. You know, see from a well being point of view how that person's going. But whatever it is, um, how you deliver it is just as important
0: as the fact that you are delivering it. Now, very well said. We've talked a lot about the difficulties of things, but what about something a bit more fun, maybe? How do you lead people to innovate? And what are you innovating now within the club? I've always felt that
1: well for a long period of time, I should say I felt that I was you know I was searching for more of a light bulb outcome than what innovation in my mind truly is, because at the end of the day the light bulb moments very rarely happen. Ultimately, uh, an idea starts somewhere and it's built on and it becomes an innovation or it becomes uh, an initiative or a strategy or a plan that's put in place that has multiple layers, I would argue that most of those innovations actually started somewhere very different to where they ended up in terms of their execution. I think that a great example that I could provide from the Melbourne Storm would be when we decided to recognise our loyal members who had stuck with us through the COVID period and provide them all with a free membership for the 2022 season. And so that was um, something that was going to cost us a lot of money because obviously we usually would budget for that membership revenue to come in. But what also happened through that period was I said to the executive team at the Melbourne Storm, yes, we might be foregoing $3.8 million of revenue, but the challenge that I'm setting for you and for us as a group, how do we cover the gap? And initially I sort of got all these looks, you know, like – what do you mean? What we're going to try and actually make up that revenue somehow. And I said, absolutely we are. And and we sat around the table and we worked through a series of initiatives. And I'm extremely proud and pleased to say that we were able to find a way to cover that gap through innovation. And they weren't sexy things that we're going to be shouting from the rooftops about, you know, in in the newspapers or anything like that. But they were things that we did that created revenue opportunities for our club. Sometimes you need uh, a situation like that to, to actually challenge you. So the flip side of that too, though, I might add is that you've got to be careful that you don't burn people out because you can get really excited as a CEO and you can start saying, let's do this, let's do that. And let's do all these things. And uh, it's important that you, you realize that people are people and they've only got uh, certain limits of how many hours in a day they can work. But um, yeah, that was, a, that was a proud moment for us and for our
0: club to be able to get through that year and deliver those outcomes. It was providing an opportunity and say, we are going to take the hit, not by losing the money. We're going to take the hit by having to work harder through this period. But at the end of the day, it will be worth it. Terminology that I I
1: really live by in that corporate sense is, or commercial, I should say, is we created the value and then we also captured the value. Like You can create value all the time and that's what's
0: important. Don't get me wrong, but then you need to capture it as well. And we were able to do that. With that in mind, we are down to the last question. What's some good leadership advice that you wish you knew sooner?
1: I would say the biggest thing for me is don't be in too much of a hurry. Often in life and in leadership, if you're ambitious and you want to be a CEO or you want to be a leader of your team, focus on doing your job and doing it extremely well and delivering the role that you're there to play. Whilst at the same time, of course, doing as many things as you can to improve and develop and grow, but don't be in too much of a hurry. Someone said to me, what are you in such a hurry for? What are you going to do when you get there? You know, and if you're, so, if you're too young when you do get there, well, what happens if it doesn't work out? Or if you get tired of that, what are you going to do after that? Make sure you're ready. Don't rush to get there because when you do get there, then you are there <laughs> and you are in front of the fire. And it can be a little bit more lonely up there. So my advice would be make sure you're ready and don't be in a, too much of a hurry.
0: Thank you all for joining us today. Again, a big thank you to Justin Rodsky for being on the show. You can follow Justin and the organization on Twitter and other social media channels at Storm. Justin, thank you for coming on the show. Ah, thanks, Spencer. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening today. And thanks to our sponsors. More information about the show and our guests can be found in the show notes. You can follow the show on Twitter or LinkedIn at LeadFromTheSide or myself on Twitter or LinkedIn at PhD. If you want to contribute to the show, send us an email at leadfromtheside at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next time, and remember to lead from the side.